Uh, Colossians 3, uh, we're just continuing in um, about the preeminence of Christ, and today we are talking about what it means to be alive uh, in Christ and what that looks like uh, in our lives. And so, as you turn there, this whole idea that Paul is kind of putting out in Colossians chapter 3 is the putting off and the putting on. It's really, um, the best example is, is change of wardrobe. And wardrobes are important uh, in our society, and I'm thankful that they are. I'm glad that we live in a society that believes in clothes. Uh, I've been in some areas in the jungle of Ecuador that was, that was a little sketchy, and uh, we're just thankful for clothes today. And we also put a lot of emphasis on what we look like. You know, we want to make sure, especially on Sundays, you know, make sure you got your, as the old term used to be, your Sunday best on, and, and we emphasize our wardrobe a lot. Um, I don't know about you men in here, but I have t-shirts that I just do not want to depart with, right? Anybody like that? And every now and then, I think Tiffany either throws them away or hides them because they're stretched out, they're dirty, but I just like them. And sometimes she'll come in and I'm like, where is my t-shirt? She goes, well, you got a drawer full of t-shirts. I'm like, it's not what I ask. I want to know where my t-shirt is. And, and so wardrobes, whether it's because of comfort, whether it's because of the way we look, are, are just important, and we spend, again, a lot of time. And what Paul is pointing out here is we, Brother Ken preached last week about the taking off. This week is the putting on, and it is. It's literally now that we are alive, now that we are made new in Christ, then the old things have to go away, and that includes uh, our old wardrobe. And, and so this morning, how does that look? How does it play out in our lives uh, to be alive? So I want to read uh, Colossians three twelve through 17 and just kind of jump in uh, to it. I will tell you, I uh, preached to D now this weekend in Tipton County. I'm going on about three hours of sleep and fourth message in two days, three days. And I'm pretty excited because I love to preach, uh, but I am tired. So we're going to get through this today. So you listen quickly. We're going to get through this uh, quickly. Uh, Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfect perfection. And he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell you, in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and uh, God, we are thankful that when you saved us, Lord, we didn't have to remain the same. God, that you have made us new. We are hid in Christ. We are alive in Christ. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God, there are so many amazing promises that we see in Scripture because of Jesus. And God, today, we just want to say thank you. Lord, he is worthy, as we just proclaimed in song. 
So God, today my prayer is, is as believers in here, if we're trying to reach into the old wardrobe of the old self and pull out some filthy rag, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just remove that from our lives. And God, if we are not putting on fully, God, what you just told us to put on, God, I pray that you will convict our hearts, Lord, and that you will show us, God, that we need to wear your clothes. And God, I pray that if there's somebody in here today who is lost, God, and on their way to hell, that today, God, be the day of salvation. That, Lord, right now in these moments, God, even before invitation, if you're dealing with their hearts, that they would come. Father, we want to celebrate with heaven today over a soul being rescued. So, God, we just lay that at your feet and ask you to work mightily. And God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to take my glasses off to read, which means I can't see you. So you can make ugly faces at me today. I can't see a thing. Uh, so anyway, you're free to make faces. Uh, so the first thing is we demonstrate the character of Christ. So he says, Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. And he just goes on with this list. And so when we demonstrate the character of Christ, what he's saying is we now have a new identity. And Paul uses a word in the Greek, put on, is indio, which it's not a suggestion. It's a command. He's not saying, hey, if you want to put this on, you can, but if you don't want to, it's okay. No, he's saying, as a follower of Christ, this is what you should look like. This is your new identity. It is a complete wardrobe change because if you look in verse 5, and I want to read through this just so we understand this morning that we're taking off some things, uh, but we're also putting on. He says this, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So it's very clear that Jesus is coming into the closet of our lives and he is absolutely stripping everything in our old closet and he is replacing it with something new. You don't take the new and try to intermingle it with the old. He's going, no, malice and compassion will not work. Love and hatred just do not belong on the same body. So he's coming in and he's going, we're getting rid of all of it and this is what you now will wear as a believer. And he has every right to do so. Why? Because he saved you. <laughs> he paid the price to come into your closet. He paid the price to go beyond places that you say, I don't want anybody to go. He's already paid the price, and he has every right to do it. He has every right to put to death the old man, and he has every right as your Lord and Savior to tell you to take off the filthy rags. So we have this new identity, and he addresses it this way. This is what it looks like. He says, therefore, as the uh, elect of God, eclectos 
It literally means to choose. Now, here's the thing. We believe in the divine work of election. We believe that it is a work of the sovereign God, and it does not depend on anything that you and I can do. I believe that election is a sacred secret of the Lord. I don't believe man can figure it out. I don't know why man wants to argue about it. It is in the Bible. Believe it because it's there. It is God's business. I was reading just this week an article from Dr. Adrian Rogers, who said, I don't, he said, I view election and free will as two ditches. And why in the world do we have to ride in a ditch when we have the road of the Bible to go by? We don't have to get in a ditch. And most of the people want to fight about it. They end up in a ditch and their lives are destroyed because they're not just riding down the great paved road of the truth of God's Word. And so we do believe we don't yield it to lost people as a weapon. We share the gospel to the, with them and let God do what God can do in Him alone. We're not called to, to argue. We're called to share uh, the gospel. But we know it's true because all the way back in Israel, we see God saying and speaking on election in Deuteronomy 7, I didn't love you because of anything you had to offer. As a matter of fact, you were the least of all the people. I set my love on you because that's who I am, and I chose to do it. You can't argue with that. It's just the truth of God's Word. So where I land, I just rest in the sovereign grace of an almighty God that one day in 1997, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. He told me I was lost and on my way to hell, and I needed to repent and turn away from my sins and turn to God and put my faith in Him, and He would cleanse me, seal me, and give me a new name, and He would have me a place in heaven. And I was just... I believed it. You can call it what you want to. I just call it salvation. But he says, hey, as the elect of God, as the chosen of God, this is how you should act. And then he uses another term, holy. And basically what I believe Paul's saying, and just to paraphrase, is you are now his children. Act like it. You remember as a child... You get invited over to somebody's house. You're all excited about going to spend the night with a friend. I don't know about you guys, but my mom and dad, as I was leaving, would say, you remember whose child you are. Right? You, you, don't, you don't go acting foolish. You remember who you're representing. And, and you, are, you are our child. And, and, and you better act like you were taught. You better act with respect, and you better do what's right. Or as you got older and kind of got out on your own, you know, wanting to run around a little bit, mom and dad give you a little freedom, and you leave in the house, you better remember whose you are. My dad would always go, I better not have to come looking for you. And I can assure you right now, my dad told me to be home at 12 o'clock, and it was 12.05, he was in the car. And for some reason, even without cell phones, he had a great GPS, and he could always find where you were. And I don't know about you, but my dad didn't mind walking up in the middle of where I was with his hair standing up with some pajama pants and a T-shirt on and said, Hey, boy, I told you to be home at 12 o'clock. It only takes a couple of times, and you'll be home at 12 o'clock. Not because he's going to get on to you any worse. It's just because I was known all over. So if, if Matthew's dad shows up, y'all better run. 
Remember whose child you are. And I believe that's what Paul says. He says, hey, you are now holy. You are not like you used to be. You are now set apart. And this, this idea, this truth of being set apart is not anything you've done on your own. There was an amazing price paid on Calvary for you to be set apart. And so we are now holy. Uh, it's just like a marriage ceremony. One of the things, and Pastor Ken and I talk about this quite often, one of the first things I do if people ask me to marry them or do um, pre-marriage counseling is the first question out of my mouth, is this a Christian wedding? Because I believe it's a big difference in just a wedding and a Christian wedding. And I want to do Christian weddings because I want everything that's said to be pointed toward Jesus Christ. But just like in a marriage, when a man and woman uh, comes together and they make that covenant together, that means that they are set apart for one another. It's not that, hey, I made this vow, but tomorrow I'm going to go do whatever I want to do with whoever I want to do it. No, I made a vow to my wife almost 29 years ago and I've stuck to it, and she has stuck to it. Why? Because we were set apart for one another. And sometimes the way we treat our holiness would be equivalent to the groom running off with the maid of honor. God said, you are mine. You belong to no one else. I will not share you with another. As a matter of fact, I'm a jealous God. And therefore, you are set apart. So often in the Christian life, we tend to step out. We preached a whole lot of weeks, 14 weeks as a matter of fact, about what spiritual adultery looked like out of the book of Hosea. And our holiness means that we are set apart, not only set apart uh, from the world, but we are set apart to God. And so he says you are holy. And then this really awesome word, beloved, God has loved you unconditionally, and the word beloved is proof of where his heart is. I mean, that's not a word that you just throw around. You don't just run around calling everybody beloved. I love everybody in the room, but I only have one beloved, and her name's Tiffany. So I'm not going to run around the room and call all of you guys beloved. I might call you brother and sister, which means I love you. And God doesn't play whenever he uses the term beloved. And this love is what motivated him to do what no one else could do, but what no one else would do. And that's come and die for you and I. So he uses the term beloved. And so he doesn't just see us as, a, as people he created. He sees us as people that are now part of his bride. And he sees us more than a statistic. He sees us more than just, as we sometimes throw the word around, just our names written into the book of life. He sees us more than that. He literally says we are beloved. It's God's identity for his children. And so the next time the enemy shows up and says, hey, you know what? You're a nobody. You just need to turn to him and go, hey, I am the beloved. The next time the world wants to squeeze you in its mold, say, I am the beloved. The next time your flesh wants to quit and throw in the towel, I am the beloved. Because that's who we are. That's who God has called us. That's our identity. So today we're alive. We should be so excited because not only has God chose us, God has set us apart. And now God sees us as his loving bride or lovely bride. Uh, identity matters. Who you are, where you're from. Uh, whose you are, all of that matters. And so he gives this list. 
You have a new identity, but you have a new affection. Now, what he's saying is, this is who you are. Act like it. So he gives this list, and I'm going to get through this list. Um, he said, put on tender mercies. Uh, new affection is this idea of a total makeover. And Paul gives us this list. And here's the thing about being a believer. You don't select the garments that you get to wear. God does. He just says it. Put to death, put off, put off, and then he tells us what to put on. And these are custom garments chosen by God, and he knows what he wants his beloved to look like. So we have to ask ourselves these questions. He says, put on tender mercies. One, do I have compassion? That's one of the, that's one of the, the uh, pairs of articles of clothing that we put on, compassion. Do I have compassion? The greatest example to me of that is when Jesus is standing there in Matthew chapter 9. He looks across the fields, and the Bible says that he was moved with compassion because he saw all of these people coming, and he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that idea of compassion is not, oh, you know what, I saw somebody hungry today. Let me feed them so I can put it on Facebook at how awesome I am or, you you know, we did this for somebody, or we rolled up some hot dogs, and get, it's not that is not the compassion he's talking about. The compassion that this word is in the Greek, and what we see in Matthew nine, is literally called the bowels of compassion. The people in those days, they didn't think of their deepest emotions being in their heart; it was literally in their intestinal areas. And so whenever it says that he was moved with compassion, it was literally when Jesus looked at the crowd, it was gut-wrenching to him. It hurt him. He was in pain over what he saw. And that's the same kind of compassion that we are supposed to have. Whenever we look at people, it's not that, oh, let me just run and help them. That's a great thing. But here's an issue whenever you have selective compassion is you'll only have compassion on the people you want to have compassion on. But when you have biblical compassion, you'll have compassion as Jesus did on whosoever that may be. And biblical compassion always, always cultivates biblical response. Always. If you are truly compassionate, deep in your soul over somebody dying and going to hell, you will not sit in the pew and watch them die. You'll go to them. That's the biblical fact. Do I have compassion? Next one, do I display kindness? We have been shown kindness through Jesus. I think a, a, a great example of that is 2 Samuel 9, David and Mephibosheth. David is now king, and he says this in, in 2 Samuel 9, 1. Is there anyone in the house of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? Because there was a bond between Jonathan and David. And now that David is on the throne, so there is Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is down in Lodabar. He is down there hiding because he's literally afraid that the king could kill him, and by all rights, he could have. But what does Jonathan, I mean, what does David do? David sends for Mephibosheth. And he says, hey, I want you to come and not just come to the king's house. I want you to sit at the king's table. And he said, not only are you going to sit at the king's table, nobody who sits at the table with you will never even ask why you are crippled. Kindness. Do we show that kind of kindness? 
We should because we've received that kind of kindness. Why did God, when we sin, when we're born, when Adam sinned, why did God not just cast Adam in the hell? Why did God not just start all over and go, man, you know what? I'm just going to redo this thing. He did it because of kindness. Why does God offer you and I grace? Because he wants to show kindness because of his son Jesus. So we've received kindness. If I've received kindness, shouldn't I also want to display kindness? I see kindness like this. Kindness, before I say this, have you ever been around somebody that's unkind? I mean, do you like them? Now, let me tell you, the Bible says we are to love everybody. We don't have to like everybody, okay? I mean, I, people who are unkind just kind of detour me. I, I, I want to be around kind people. And this is the way I kind of view that. Kindness is what makes a person attractive. If you want to win the world, melt their hearts, don't hammer them. Kindness. Are we, do we display kindness? Am I selfless? Paul uses the word humility here. Uh, it was looked down upon in that culture to show humility because that culture in those days was full of pride and domination. Uh, you, if you were dominant, you were, you were lifted up. If you were selfless and humble, you were the low ones. So God, I mean, Paul's sitting here going, hey, guess what? As the elect of God, as the holy of God, as the beloved of God, you have to display humility, which would have been very difficult for them to swallow. And I don't think we're any different. None of us are running around here going, humiliate me, Lord. Make me low, God. Make me think of others more than myself. We're not running out here saying that. We have the same struggle that they had. But it's one of the things that we put on whenever we follow the Lord. And it's funny because Jesus came in. What did they try to do? Elevate Jesus to this high uh, hierarchy. They want him to be this great king, this big military power. And Jesus comes in as this lowly servant from Nazareth who turned everything upside down. And so... Am I selfless? Am I gentle? This has to do with our behavior being under control. It's uh, that idea of not getting mad and flying off uh, the handle, as they say. Um, I guess the best way to, to describe it is if you are out here riding around with that Jesus fish on your car, you shouldn't get in the road rage and give somebody the old friendly finger. I mean, you just shouldn't. That's part of being gentle. Um... Am I patient? Do I have a short fuse? Do I lack self-control? When things don't go my way, do I lose it? Uh, do I endure others? That's the idea of either holding up or holding back. And we have to be willing to endure others because God endures us. Uh, so the whole idea of bearing with one another is the word forbearance which means that, that God displayed forbearance, if you read in Romans 3, uh, for us... He didn't judge us. Uh, he had long-suffering. He endured us. Jesus comes along, dies for us, pays for our sins, and the Lord saves us. Uh, he endures us. Because I, I just tell you, it's hard for us to endure ourselves sometimes. But the Lord endures us. So do I endure others? Uh, do I forgive completely? He just keeps going. I didn't want to leave any of these out. You know, because I didn't want you to run around half naked. 
Just saying. It's been embarrassing for everybody in the room. Uh, do I forgive completely? Jesus tells Peter, just think about it this way. Uh, imagine Jesus going up to Peter and going, Hey, Peter, um, go find the man who thrust the crown of thorns on my head and tell him that I love him. And as a matter of fact, I have a crown for him in heaven, and it doesn't have thorns on it. It's a crown of life. It'd be like Jesus saying, Peter, go find the person that spit in my face and tell them that I love them and I forgave them and they don't have to worry about that. Go find the person that speared my side and tell them there's a better way to my heart than through killing me. That's forgiveness. And that's what Jesus did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's exactly the way we should live. It says it very plainly forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, don't go on Facebook and vent it out. Don't go to somebody else and go, man, I tell you what, I'm really struggling with this person. Go to the person. That's what it says. If you have a complaint against one another, just forgive each other as God has forgiven you through Jesus. Do I forgive completely? Um, And then this last one. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. This is the overcoat of your wardrobe. This is, this is it. Um, is my love authentic? And just kind of, as I was thinking about this, thinking about this kind of being the overcoat of love, being the overcoat of our wardrobe, how many times have we run out of our house without our coat? Get down the road, man, I forgot my coat. I need to go back and get it. Or as you were, when you were little, and you went outside to play, your mom would go, hey, it's cold outside, don't forget your coat. And so, we can't afford to forget our coat. Is my love authentic? This is what he expects his children to look like. But it's amazing, and oftentimes in in the Christian life, uh, that we... uh, there's such a gap in what we know and what we show. It's easy to stand up here and say, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on gentleness, put on selflessness, put on love, uh, forgive completely. Man, there are days, and I think everybody can be honest about this, there are days where we have wardrobe malfunction, right? Anybody in here ever have a wardrobe malfunction? Y'all can say amen. Don't lie. You do. Some days you just don't want to put on compassion. February the 1st, 2004. Super Bowl 38. Patriots versus the Panthers. The next morning the headline wasn't who won the Super Bowl. It was the famous wardrobe malfunction. It was Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake's great halftime show. And everybody was talking about the wardrobe malfunction. As a matter of fact, it's still talked about today. It has become kind of its own thing. That was a crazy thing, and people were, oh, you know, freaking out. Did they mean to do it? Did they not mean to do it? So I just decided this week, I just thinking through wardrobe, I, so I want to look at I didn't go back and look at the video, you guys. Tiffany made sure on the way here this morning. She goes, you need to make sure that you tell the church that you wasn't watching the video. <laughs> I didn't watch the video. I just read an article. 
No, seriously, I didn't watch it. I'm, I'm serious. I, I didn't watch it. But man, it was forever etched in sports history. Every time the halftime show comes up now in somebody's mind, as a matter of fact, I did a little test the other day. Um, I was talking, I walked in the office, and uh, Shelby and Cheryl were in there, and I was like, hey, I want to run this by you guys, I, you ladies. I want to see what y'all think. And I, I told them about the Super Bowl, and I said, Janet Jackson, and both of them said, the wardrobe malfunction. Uh, we all know it. And it's really a very good example. It's like preachers love to find illustrations. It's a very good illustration of what it means for us not to have a wardrobe malfunction. Because here's the thing. God has clothed us. The Lord told us to put on all of these things. He said, put them on. And here's one of the amazing things. Janet Jackson the next morning says this. It was not my intention for it to go as far as it did. And I apologize to anyone it offended. Folks, God has clothed us with the new man. He has come in our closet and he has taken away the old clothes and he has given us a new wardrobe of compassion and gentleness and love and forgiveness, all the things that I just mentioned. And I just want to tell you, we can't afford a wardrobe malfunction. Because our wardrobe malfunction may not uh, necessarily make the masses, but the master sees it. They may not be talking about it all over the United States and all over the world, but heaven notices it. And people understand it. So when we say, hey, we're followers of Jesus, and tomorrow morning you may wake up and go, man, I don't want to love today, or I don't want to forgive today, and you do not put on that cloth, that cloth and you have a wardrobe malfunction, it's not that it's like, oh, I just offended somebody. It has eternal implications. What if tomorrow you get mad because Walmart does not have enough lines open for you to check out and you're standing there huffing and puffing and you're complaining and you got on a worn community church shirt and you are just blowing up and then the person behind you don't know Jesus? What has happened? We have totally destroyed any opportunity for that person to believe that this following Jesus is authentic. Well, what if, what if somebody in your life, in your circle, has said something against you and you just don't want to forgive them? You're mad at them. They hadn't come to you and said that they were sorry. So you just rip off forgiveness and that person dies without Jesus because we have too much pride to forgive. Just being honest this morning. What if that coworker, all they do is hear your short temper just go off all the time because your boss didn't treat you right, and yet you're going, man, I tell you what, I was in the greatest Bible study over there Wednesday night at Pastor Ken's. It was great. He's teaching all that great theology, and you're sitting there, and you are mad, and all you do is complain. That's a wardrobe malfunction, and our wardrobe malfunction has eternal implications mean that people could literally die without Jesus because we don't put on the new man. So I don't think we can go around and go, I, I didn't intend for it to go that far. You're too far could be a, a, a serious problem for others. And so whenever you put on the cloth of Christianity, you better be ready to wear it. And I say that to me, because I ain't going to sit here and tell you that every day 
I want to put on compassion. I'm not going to say that I wake up every morning and go, boy, today I'm going to be gentle. I'm just don't. And sometimes in the spur of the moment, the things can all happen at one time, and I can forget that I'm supposed to endure others, and I can just tear that off and not endure anybody. We all are guilty of it, but our wardrobe malfunction has eternal impact. And so we have to be careful. And then Paul now turns from our character to our conduct. The old saying is, I've heard Pastor Ken say this a lot, what kind of church would my church be if every church member was just like me? That, you know, that's a, a very famous saying, but if you really stop and think about it, it has some serious, serious fault to it. And so he's turned now from our character, who we are in Christ, to how we should really live that out. Um, if every church member was just like me, in the way I share the gospel, would my church grow? If every church member is just like me and how I feel about gatherings, would we ever gather? If every church member is just like me and how I feel about serving, would we ever serve the community? What kind of church would my church be if every church member is just like me? I think that's a question we got to have because we participate in the body of Christ. Isolated Christianity is an oxymoron. God didn't save you for you to be out here on an island all by yourself. If that was the case, you'd be a monk. God called you into an organic body that is called the body of Christ. When you're saved, you are put into that body. For us, it's the local body here called Warren Community Church. Whenever you go through Class 101, you pray about it, and your family decides that you want to be a part of this church, and you sign the church covenant, you are now part of the body of Christ. Therefore, meaning participate. How do we participate? Well, by providing peace. It's the idea of control. It's another command. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word let is not a suggestion. It's a command. It is actually an athletic term meaning umpire. So it's the idea of, let's just use this for example, this side and this side are playing a game and they get into it with one another. The umpire is the one that comes in because he's non-biased and he separates them and he is the ultimate authority. That's the way peace should rule in our life. Peace is the umpire of our lives. Whenever we have a disagreement, whenever we don't like something, whenever things don't go our way, instead of blowing up, getting mad, storming out the door, saying all bad things about the church, let the peace of God umpire your life. That's what it means, by providing peace. When we center our lives on the peace of God, arguments seem to cease because they're not important anymore. What's important is what He has called us to do. We all have opinions and disagreements, but it's the bond of peace that unifies us. And then He says, by being thankful. Listen, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body. And then He says this, and be thankful. And there's no greater example in Scripture than, than Paul when it comes to thankfulness. Paul wanted to go to Spain. Paul ended up in prison, right? Paul could have been mad at God. Paul could have said, Lord, I, I gave up all my life. I surrendered everything to you, and all I wanted to do was go to Spain for your name, and you put me in prison. Lord, I'm mad 
I'm never going to say your name again. I hope they don't come in here. I, I'm just mad at you, God. I don't like the paint in the prison walls. The house stinks. All of it. I got this dumb bracelet on my ankle, and I can't go anywhere because I'm under house arrest. Paul wasn't saying all that. What was Paul doing? Paul was going, God, I'm thankful for my prison. Lord, you have at least let it be a house and not a dungeon. God, I'm thankful for my prison because my friend Epaphras can come and we can talk about you. God, I'm thankful for my prison. Although I'm chained to two guards, I get to share the gospel with them all the time. And Lord, I'm seeing people be saved. God, thank you for my prison. Man, so often in the church, and man, I was preaching this to myself all week long. I find myself sometimes criticizing and just complaining. And man, when you're on a church staff, sometimes you, you just, you hear a lot, you see a lot, and you can sometimes lose focus. And this, this past week, I was sitting there, and I was just reading through this, and, and, and you know, sometimes that complaining spirit could come up, and God said, do you realize that we baptized six people last week? Why don't you shut up, Matthew, and be thankful? Why don't you be thankful that you have the privilege of being in vocational ministry and that you get to preach and you get to teach and you get to serve? I could have you in a prison somewhere. When are you going to start being thankful that your family serves the Lord in different capacities? Man, just be thankful. And that's what he's saying. And it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And when thankfulness resides in our soul, the peace of God shows up. I just want to encourage you. Because we're not perfect leaders by no means. Warren Community Church is not perfect. But instead of complaining about anything going on in the church next week, just be thankful. God, I thank you for our children's ministry. God, I'm thankful that when I go to church, I can let my children go in a safe, secure place and they can hear about Jesus and they're being raised in the Word of God. God, I'm thankful for our student ministry. God, I'm thankful for a student pastor, Lord, who is diligent and studying your Word and preaching to our kids every day. Lord, I'm thankful for our worship ministry. God, I'm thankful that somebody who spends their time Lord, making sure that everything is ready and prepared so that on Sunday mornings, all I have to do is walk in, stand up, and sing praises to the Lord. Be thankful for your connect classes, people who work jobs, who take time out of their personal lives to study, to pour into you on Sunday mornings. Be thankful for a church to where the Word of God is not a place, it is the place. People can say, y'all just put too much emphasis on this. It's the Word of God, and we're just going to preach it. <laughs> and if you don't like it, I'm not apologizing. And if you hear the gospel, I hope you hear it. Every time one of us are in the pulpit, I can assure you, you're going to hear the gospel. Amen. Be thankful of what God is doing, because you know what? We could be having to put hoods over our heads and sneak into church at 2 a.m. in the morning, hoping that we don't get caught and killed. So just be thankful. And he says, how's another way? By the living word. The Word of God resides in your soul. It should. <laughs> I mean, this is what he says. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. He's like, man, the Word of God must be preeminent. If it's not, you better run. And, and, and the Word of God is amazing. So the Word of God should reside in our souls. So that, what that means is the Word of God just don't have visits. It lives there. It's like a month down the road, you're like, oh, yeah, I should pick up the Bible and read it. No. Man, it should be in you, residing in you. Everything you do should be, con be through the control of the Word of God. The input of the Word in our lives will result in the output of the Word from our lives. So if we're putting it in, it's going to come out. And it usually comes out in some of the places you're like, man, I'm surprised I even said that. Put it in. And then the Word of God leads us to the worship of God. Notice what he says. Hey, let the Word of God of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I just put in my notes simply this. You'll like this, Brother Gary. Just sing. It doesn't matter if it's a hymn. Next week, Gary may do some kind of psalm chant. I don't know. If the Lord tells him to do it, we're going to just get up here and chant it with him. Just sing. Don't walk in here and go, I can't stand that song. Man, I don't know what he's thinking. No, just sing. Why? Because the Word of God dwells richly in you. So it doesn't matter to me if it's a I surrender all or how great is our God. I, he's the same God, and I'm just going to sing. That's what he's saying there, man. Let that, be what, let that be what drives us. Let that be what guides us is just coming together and just worshiping the Lord. I'm pretty sure God wasn't mad that we sang, is he worthy today? Pretty sure he wasn't over there looking at Jesus going, I don't know what in the world they're thinking. No, he was like, keep singing, my children. Keep raising up your voices, my children. Keep telling me how amazing I am. Lord, just sing. I'll stop there. I got some more, but we'll leave it alone. Last thing is by honoring God. In whatever you do in word or deed. Now, this probably hit me as hard as any part of this passage this week. Because I always quote, you know, we quote this. We have taught this to our kids. Whatever you're doing, do it all for the glory of the Lord. But this week when I was reading this, in whatever you do, you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So everything that we do should be um, for his renown. And this saying is not a lightweight saying, and the reason I say that is because our words and our deeds as believers are attached to the name of Jesus. So if my words are not seasoned with love, it reflects on the name of Jesus. If my deeds toward others does not reflect the love of Christ, then what's it do? It, it, it's attached to the name of Jesus. You can come out here the second Friday of next month, and you can put all the boxes you want in a car, and if you don't do it out of love, instead of exalting the name of Jesus you are necessarily, you're hurting the name of Jesus. Everything that we do in word and deed, <laughs> man, that'll make you think. Like, should I say this? <laughs> should I do this? 
Because, Lord, I'm your child, and people know that I claim to be a follower of you, and I don't want to do anything that would hurt your name. And in those days, names had a lot of importance. They were names meant everything. And so whenever Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, it, 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 it's attached to the name of Jesus, this would have hit them hard. So we are identified with Christ, so everything we do is linked to his name. Everything we say and do should be under the influence of the name of Jesus. I have compassion. It's under the influence of the name of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And he says this, in giving thanks to God the Father through him, live every moment with gratitude. There is not one reason sitting in this room this morning that we shouldn't be overflowing with gratitude to Jesus. Not, not one reason. Because if he does nothing else for you, he saved you. If he's done nothing else for you, lost person, he come to save you. So we should be overflowing with gratitude. And just in wrapping up and in closing, I was just thinking this week, how, how, do, you, how do you close a message like this? And I'm just not really, I don't claim to be too smart but I said if the emphasis is the preeminence of Christ, then it's really just simple. How do I put off the old man and the old rags? And how do I put on the new man and the new rags? It's just Jesus. I'm alive because of Jesus. I'm saved because of Jesus. And so as we're getting ready to, to close out this service as I was thinking about this, there's just an old song that came to my heart. And sometimes in our offices, we have thin walls, and I'll get excited and turn a song way up, and I'm like, I know Pastor Ken's probably like, I wish he'd quit. But I think he'd have been happy this week if he was in his office when I had this one on. And it says this, without him, huh, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I'd be drifting like a ship without a sail. Without him, I would be dying. Without him, I would be enslaved. Without him, life would be worthless. But with Jesus, thank God I'm saved. Jesus, Jesus, do you know him today? Please don't turn him away. Jesus, my Jesus, without him, how lost I would be. The whole reason that you and I are alive today is because of one man, and his name is Jesus. And without him, we'd be eternally lost. But with him, we are eternally saved. That's why he has preeminence in our lives. Father, we come to you today, and God, I am so thankful, Lord, for you. God, just you today, simply you. Because, God, it's out of that relationship with you that everything else flows. Lord, I'm thankful that you came today and that you saved me. God, I'm thankful today that you came and saved so many people in this room. And, God, I'm thankful today that if there's someone in the room who is not saved, today you are pleading with them through the Holy Spirit to come. God, I'm thankful that I don't have to wear the old clothes. 
Lord, I'm thankful that you gave me a new wardrobe. Lord, it was you through the Holy Spirit that clothed me. God, I'm thankful that I am not under the filthy rags of my own self-righteousness, but I'm under the righteousness of Christ through you. God, thank you. And Lord, I'm thankful for what you're going to do in this room. God, I'm thankful for what you've already done and what you are continuing to do in this church. Father, we praise you today. And Lord, you are truly worthy. So God, we just ask you to take this moment. Lord, work mightily in all of our hearts. And God, if there be a, a piece of our wardrobe that is missing as believers, that God, we're willing to come down. Lord, ask for forgiveness and say, God, just clothe me. Whatever it may be today, Lord, it's yours. And God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.